Please, Mr. Chavez, have a seat. It's pronounced Shives, Mr. Perot. And it is Poirot, Mr. Chavez. As you know, a murder of the most foulness has occurred aboard this very train, and you have said that you did not in any way know the late Mr. Harding. No, he was a complete stranger to me. Yes, yes, so you have been heard repeating to anyone who would listen, but might I direct you to this? Uh, An MP3 player? Well, what of it, Perot? Everyone has one nowadays. Indeed, but it is not the instrument that is of interest, but much like a wrapped gift, it is the contents inside. Would you care to listen to what is on the MP3 player? I don't have time to listen to an MP3 player, Perot. Ah, but I think you will, for you will see that there is a podcast on this very player, one that is hosted by the murdered Mr. Harding and co-hosted by none other than you, Mr. Chivis! A podcast called Late Seating, a podcast where you review classic films. It is my opinion that after you have, having murdered the reputations of several classic movies, you became overwhelmed with guilt and remorse, and then murdered your co-host! That's crazy talk, Perot. You have no evidence! Then press play on the MP3 player and make a liar out of Poirot. All right. I will. Three days, all these people, these total strangers, meet in a single train whose engine controls their destiny. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Late Seating. I'm Jason Harding. And I'm Steve Shives. And on this show, we take a classic movie and we see if it lives up to its reputation, whether that reputation is good or bad. And this time around, we take our flashlights and we go down the hallway of mysteries to look at a movie that I honestly thought was more popular than it actually was. Because, man alive, I had a hard time finding anything at all in regards to this movie. Steve, you tell them what movie we watched this week. (laughs) We watched the 1974 adaptation of Agatha Christie's classic mystery novel, Murder on the Orient Express. That's right, and now we're mostly doing it because Hollywood decided, hey, let's remake it for some reason, right? Yeah, we're gonna do another one. We're gonna make it super better. Yeah. We're going to have, we're not just going to have old 1970s famous people in it. We're going to have modern, sexy, 21st century famous people in it. Whose careers are waning. Yes. (laughs) Hey guys, if you're in Hollywood and you've discovered that you're on uh, Murder on the Oregon Express, two things. Either you're brand new to Hollywood and you're trying to make a name for yourself outside of the mega franchise that you you found yourself starring in, right Daisy Ridley? Or your your star's kind of gone down a little bit. (laughs) Works work. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so we're doing this one, 1974's Murder on the Orient Express, a movie who I think everyone pretty much knows the plot to, right, Steve? Uh, it's one of the more famous mystery stories ever told, so I would say most people know, in, in, at least generally, what the movie's about. Yeah. <laughs> but before we go ahead and ruin the entire plot, we're going to say this. If you do not know... Ultimately, who did what on the Orient Express? You might want to turn off the podcast. <laughs> oh yeah, spoiler alert. Super spoiler alert. This really does apply to this kind of movie because we're literally doing an honest to god mystery. A movie that a kind of movie that we really don't doesn't get made anymore. I mean, maybe right. that's why they're remaking it. <laughs> why can't they come up with an original one then? Just yeah. Why are they Here here's a wacky uh, idea. Just have someone write an original mystery and then make a movie yeah. out of that. Exactly. Why are you remaking perhaps the most famous 
mystery movie ever. It doesn't make any sense, Steve. Unless they're going to change the plot. Maybe they're going to have the robot, a robot gorilla did the murder. Oh, that would be awesome. And then the train locomotive turns into Optimus Prime. <laughs> yes, and looks to the sky and warns that the real battle is yet to come. And then he gets a fight in a fight with King Kong. Oh, now, oh see, now this it writes itself, basically. I just saw Kong at Skull Island, by the way. Oh, really? Still. I really liked it. Nice. <laughs> well, good. That, well, that, that bodes well for the, the eventual crossover with Godzilla, I suppose. Kong eats people in that one. It's great. <laughs> you know, Kong was originally supposed to eat people in this one, strangely enough, but they decided that his presence in, uh, you know, a, a quaint 1930s murder mystery was just too disruptive. So No, oh, yeah. And they couldn't afford the stop motion. Well, Dilo De Laurentiis really wanted to put it in there, but... They were like, no. They said, no, do your own Kong movie. Jesus. <laughs> All right, get I off will. our set. <laughs> get, off, get off our set, Dino. Such a jerk. <laughs> uh, okay, so anyway. Hey, Steve. Uh-huh? Before we go into the world of uh, Murder on the Orient Express, do you have any trivia you'd like to share? I have a little bit. Um, act- do you really? Because I couldn't find any. Well, it's, it's trivia sort of related to the movie, not quite of the movie. This movie came out, as we said, in 1974. And at the time when the movie was made and released, the Orient Express basically didn't exist anymore. Uh, In fact, there there weren't even any uh, intact train cars that were still, you know, in in usable condition anywhere in the right. world. There there were there were some that were like in museums, but the Orange mm-hmm. Express itself had 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 gone out of business, uh, was no longer being uh, operated. And uh, two years after this movie came out, or three years after this movie came out, mm-hmm. uh, it was the the process began where it was resurrected, where someone began buying up the old original carriages and restoring them. And in the early eighties, uh, this new version of the Orient Express called the the Venice Simplon Orient Express uh, opened, and it is still in operation today. And obviously, it's much less extensive and famous than the original Orient Express, and it's very yeah. much it's like a, it's like a niche service. You know, people don't ride on it mm-hmm. because they really want to go from point A to point B. It's like a vacation. They ride on it because they want to murder. Yeah, because <laughs> because they have more money than they know what to do with, and they say, "What should we do? Let's ride the Orient Express." They um, want a, a Belgian man with a mental disorder to solve a mystery <laughs> on the train. <laughs> and and there was also for a brief time, uh, it doesn't. I don't think that it operates anymore, but there was a, an American version of the Orient Express called the American European Express uh, that also used restored train cars from the original Orient Express. So this movie sort of, you know, rejuvenated interest in the real Orient Express and actually resulted in a new Orient Express railroad uh, starting up. So there you go. Wow, that was exciting yeah. train talks. And, oh, and David Copperfield made one of the cars disappear. Fuck David! Fuck you, David Copperfield! No, no! <laughs> you put that train car back, David Copperfield. It's one of my favorite David Copperfield specials when he makes the train car disappears. It's nice to know that you have a ranking system for David Copperfield specials. We, that you have I a do. favorite and a least favorite. Oh, I definitely do. We can discuss oh, that God. at a later time. <laughs> um, I don't think. I think most of the people know that both Steve and I come from train families. I think yes. Yeah, my grandfather on my father's side was a coalman on the Santa Fe on the Santa Fe, Santa Fe line, and his his uh, engine is his puller is in the Sacramento Railroad Museum. I've got to go up and sit in it and stuff. 
And Steve's, uh, what was it? You were uh, my... aroused about. You, you, your, your grandpa killed hobos? <laughs> yes, would, exactly. He had one of those long chains my... and he would run underneath the bottom of it that would snag him. And... My... Well, I didn't mean to imply that. <laughs> my grandfather caved in Woody Guthrie's skull one time. Oh, excellent. Was... They wrote a song about it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, my, my grandfa- both my grandfather and my great-grandfather. He's his... t- taking a million hobo lives. <laughs> He's that dastardly. What's your father, grandfather's name? <laughs> I'm trying to ride with Shives. <laughs> his name was Don. Don Shives. Don Shives. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, he. it was my grandfather and then also his father, my great-grandfather. They both worked on what was originally the Western Maryland Railroad and then eventually became... Uh, the uh, Chessie System Railroad. So, yeah. Hey, we're both from, yeah, that's why we did this, is because we love railroads. We love trains. And, and trains. Actually, I do. I took a train cross country. Oh, I would love to do that sometime. Oh, boy, you boy, you need to be ready. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of time trapped in one place, Steve. Oh. If you like feeling like a goldfish. <laughs> I'm sure. If you if you find yourself saying, I can't wait till we stop in Omaha so I can get out of the train, and you're looking forward to Omaha, and you're like, oh boy. I should have just flown. If you ever want to travel through the most depressing parts of large cities, because that's where that's the where, railroad stations that's are. That's where the train tracks go, yeah. We're not going to go through the nice parts of the city. <laughs> the hell with that. Then travel by train. Amtrak's dying. It's dying. It's dying, guys. So this is all we're talking about for the rest of the show. So ride Amtrak. Joe Biden has to. Joe Biden can't be the only person who rides a goddamn thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, uh, okay. So there is no trivia. I looked everywhere. It was hard to even find a copy of this fucking movie to watch. Tell me about it. But it's considered a classic. Got nominated for like five Academy Awards. Yeah, and won one. Yes. Who won? Was it Gilgood? Uh it was Ingrid Bergman. Oh Bergman, yeah. yeah. Well, they were—they needed an excuse to give Bergman a, a, yeah. an award. She oh. did, none of the guests, none of the other people in this movie have a whole lot. They all have like twelve lines each. That's all they could be. That's all they could spare if they wanted to keep the movie under four hours. Yeah, Albert Finney had an eight-page monologue, and the rest of them had, yeah, had like twelve lines. Yeah. Uh, okay, so let's get into who made it and why, and who are these people? <laughs> What's going on? Let's do it. All right, it was directed by Sidney Lumet, mm-hmm. and he's made a lot of really great movies. In fact, movies that are about a million gajillion times better than this one. He's made 12 Angry Men, which was pretty good. Oh, yeah. Failsafe, which features, uh, you know, pre- the phone's melting because the nuclear holocaust is real good. Serpico, mm-hmm. but probably the my favorite film of his, which we'll, we will eventually uh, review on this show, Network. Oh, yeah. And this movie was made by the same guy who made Network, Steve. Yeah. he, You know, he, he wanted to do a prestige picture. He wanted to make an old-timey movie because no one was making this kind of movie anymore any, at the time of the, in 74 either. Yeah. Well, he was, you know, he was 50 when he made this movie, so he was just cresting that, you know, wave of, you know, going into middle age and becoming a cranky old man. And he was like, they don't make movies like I was a, when I was a kid. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to make one myself, goddammit. <laughs> It was produced by John Brayburn and Richard B. Goodwin. Screenplay by Paul Dean, who also wrote Goldfinger, and also wrote all of the Planet of the Apes films, with the exception of the first one. Wow. So he made Battle, Beneath, Beyond. Um, that was all of them, right? There's only three others. No, the guy loves... There's not another one, is there? <laughs> I, I can't remember. 
Inside, yeah. around, <laughs> through. <laughs> around the corner from. <laughs> right next that, to. That was the one where you could tell they were really starting to run low creatively. <laughs> Down the block from the planet of the apes. Like, that doesn't even make sense. Annoyed neighbors of the planet of the apes. <laughs> A ship that flew by the planet of the apes. <laughs> Does anybody know where the Planet of the Apes... Someone stop the Planet of the Apes and want to get off. <laughs> Whatever happened to the Planet of the Apes? <laughs> okay. Based on Murder on the Orient Express by Dame Agatha Christie. Agatha Christie was well known for not really liking any of the adaptations of her novels. And I guess she said okay to this one because she likes money. <laughs> I'm sure that they gave some other bullshit reason, but, you know... <laughs> And it stars, oh boy, here comes the big thing. There are a lot of famous people in this movie, Steve. Oh my god, it's it's a cast, uh, it's an all-star cast, practically of thousands. Yeah, <laughs> and some of them are miscast. Oh look, there's Albert Finney as Hercule Poirot. <laughs> <laughs> now, now. <laughs> now he was nominated for Academy Award for playing Hercule Poirot. Hercule Poirot. Or playing funny Beetle Man with a weird voice and an accent that comes in and out. Like you said, Hercule Poirot. <laughs> Lauren Bacall as Harriet Belinda Hubbard. Martin Balsam as Signor Bianche. Um, Ingrid Bergman as Greta Olson. Jacqueline Bisset as Countess Helena Andreni. I hope I'm saying that right. Close enough. Jean-Pierre Cassel as Pierre-Paul Michel. Sean Connery as Colonel a but but not but. <laughs> Our butt not. That is his name. Yes. I okay, guys. I know I make fun of names all the time. His name is our butt not in the movie. Yes. Don't expect me to say that name Albert, correctly again. <laughs> Albert Finney says it in a wacky Belgian accent three or four times. <laughs> John Connor. Oh no, I did him already. John Gielgud as Edward Beddoes. Beddoes. <laughs> I'm Beddoes. He comes from that great factory that produces waiter, uh, uh, wait staff, and butlers. Oh yeah. Uh, Wendy Hillard is Princess Natalia Dragomorov or Princess Foreign Vampire. Oh man. <laughs> Anthony Perkins as another mama's boy. I'm sorry, as Hector McQueen. Vanessa Redgrave as Mary Debenham. Rachel Roberts as Hildegard Schmidt. Richard Widmark as Ratchet. Oh, I'm sorry, Ratchet. <laughs> <laughs> Ratchet. I see what you did there. S- slash Cassetti. It sounds like Ratchet if you if you're not paying attention. Michael York as Count Rudolf Adreni. Am I saying that right, Adreni? I think so. Adreni. Colin Blakely as Sirius B. Hardman. <laughs> George Caloris as Doctor Constantine. Dennis Quiley as Antonio Foscarelli. Vernon Dopchev as concierge. Jeremy Lloyd as ADC. That's what it fucking says. I don't even know what the ADC stands. Do you know what it stands for? I don't know, actually. Okay. And John Moffat as the beaver. No, as <laughs> chief attendant. Music by Richard Rodney Bennett. Cinematography by Jeffrey Unsworth. Edited by Anne V. Coates. Production company, GW Films Limited. Distributed in the UK by EMI Films. And in the United States by Paramount Pictures. It was released on November 21st, 1974. Running time? Too long. I'm sorry. (laughs) Running time? 131 minutes. Budget? 
$1,400,000 in American money, uh, about 500000 and change in uh, that made-up British money that they use. Um, box office, $35 million. So it made its money back, and it was kind of a hit, wasn't it, Steve? Yes, it was, very much so. People like them, that murder mysteries. Yeah, it started the great uh, murder mystery uh, trend of the 1970s. Oh, wait, there was no That's such true. thing. No, there was. There was a there was a little boom of it. A slight we boom. Saw, uh, we saw uh, Holmes come back, kind of. Sort of. Holmes yeah. came back in a couple. The seventh percent solution came around to that. Time. Oh, that's right. And uh, what was the other? What was the Billy Wilder Holmes movie? The private, the private life of Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, which is yeah, it's pretty good. There was a lot of deconstruction going on. Yeah. at that point. Um, and so yeah, it proved kind of popular. And of course, we saw a boom of, of detectives like this on TV with children, like the Scooby Doo guys, yes, and the Hair Bear bunch. And uh, there's like 900 other teen sleuthing kind of things, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Didn't Jabberjaw have a detective agency? They all had. They all became detectives. Yeah. All I remember is growing up in the 1970s, if you were teenagers and you hung out and there were more than three of you, you were fucking detectives, and he had some kind of bizarre talking animal, or a freaky phantom, or some kind of ghost, or a duck, or something, and you went around, or a talking car, and you, and you solved mysteries. Why, Steve? I blame this movie. <laughs> because it's easy. Because you don't even have to write anything. Really? Is that what it was? You just take a Sherlock Holmes story, you swap out Holmes for the, the uh, you know, the gang for and the Shaggy mystery and machine. Scooby. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, oh boy, Arthur Conan Doyle must have been upset. <laughs> yeah, from the great beyond, because, you know... As, as, from the great beyond. As a spiritualist, he was, he, he was, he was waiting in the afterlife going, oh, I can't <laughs> believe this Scooby-Doo shit. Okay, number one, Doyle was Scottish, so you fix that accent right there. I can't believe this Scooby-Doo shit. I don't even know what that was. I don't was, know but okay. either. It's just a, it's a melange of all the accents. Hey, I'm Scottish. I am. Oh. My name's Arthur Conan Doyle. Oh. I, I wrote the Sherlock Holmes ideas, and I'm upset by that talking dog cartoons. What's he gonna do? I mean, what's he, what's he, what's he gonna do about it? Nothing. Yeah, step up, Conan Come on, Doyle. Yeah. I'd pay to see you beat up Hanna-Barbera. Oh. <laughs> the Hanna-Barbera studios were trashed by what appeared to be the ghost of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. <laughs> it's captured on video in this shocking footage. <sighs> All right. Are you ready to do the movie? Yes. <laughs> All right, <clears throat> Steve. Uh-huh. Let's put on our best 1930s gear. Oh, yeah. I'm going to wear a pith helmet. Fuck it. Why not? <sighs> I got my tickets for the Orient Express right here in my hot little gloved hand. I'm going to be as racist as I possibly can. I'm going to say brown babies and white babies and wogs, and I'm going to call people frogs, and I'm going to, oh, the freedom to be able to just... <laughs> what a <laughs> casual racism all over the place. What a time to be alive. <laughs> you got your tickets? I've got it right here. Okay, great. You ready? Let's give it to the portman. Let's step on board. The Orient Express. Boy, I hope it's uneventful. Probably won't be... <laughs> Ready, Steve? Let's go. Let's let's take it away all board. Last stop for the Orient Express late seating. Don't know where I'm going with this bit. <laughs> well, okay, the thing is, though, I mean, before we actually get to the train, we have a nice little, what turns out to be kind of a flashback 
a montage. Yeah, because most of the movie takes place in 1935, but the the opening yeah. montage, the opening sequence is uh, a mostly silent montage. Well, first we uh, have very pleasant titles. Oh, that's true. Yeah, there's there's nice classy title cards with nice classy music, a nice silk background, and just the the yeah. names of everybody. Oh, yeah, it's very nice. Art Deco fonts. Yeah, telling us who made it and whatnot. And then we go directly to um, a montage of kidnap and murder. Yes, 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 exactly. A, a very thinly veiled, fictitious version of the Lindbergh kidnapping in this case. No, it's not. It, it is not a recreation of the Lindbergh kidnapping. It's, the, it's not. It's the Armstrong kidnapping. Do you hear that, audience? It's not the Lindbergh kidnapping. It's the Armstrong kidnapping. That's right. Bet you didn't know Armstrong. That, bet you didn't know that Neil Armstrong had a little sister who was kidnapped. Well, he did. Stop it. <laughs> and it was that track. What do we see, Steve? We see some little brat gets kidnapped, and then yeah. uh, they, the, these people pay a ransom, and uh, then the bad the, the kid is dead. Yeah, and we most it's like it's all silent. It's just like like video or you know film shots, and then like. Yeah. Uh, images of newspapers sort of letting us and know about, oh, movies. oh, she's dead. Ah, oh, so that sucks. And black and yeah, black and white photos, and then uh, spinning headlines. Yeah. Newspapers stuff. News on the march. And then it's over, and we're like, wow, that was a weird, we don't, that's a weird mystery. Yeah, like that didn't even, they didn't even mention the Orient Express. Or anything. It's probably not going <laughs> to have anything to do with anything. And then we go to five years later. Yeah. In Is- Istanbul. Yes. Was Constantinople. But now it's Istanbul. Now it's Istanbul. <laughs> Not Constantinople. Not Constantinople. If you have a date in in Constantinople, <laughs> she'll be waiting at is Istanbul. <laughs> exactly. Just so everybody's clear where we are. Istanbul. Not Constantinople. Not Constantinople. Even old New York was once New Amsterdam. Exactly. Why they changed it, I can't say. Guess People they liked just it liked it better that way. Better that yes. way. <laughs> if you guys are thinking, wow, there must not be much to the movie, they're willing to digress to this point for an old song that may, was made popular by They Might Be Giants, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the, the, we, we, we meet... Uh, who do we meet? We meet... Um... We meet... Colonel a butt butt knots. Yeah, and and uh, uh, Mary Debenham, who is his main squeeze. We see yeah, her they're like getting on a ferry. We yeah. we see her getting out of a car, and she meets uh, Colonel R. Uh, but not who but. is who is played by Sean Connery, and they're kind of like, "Hey, I can't wait till we get back home." So Don't, this is wait. No, she says, "Not now. Not until the thing we need to do is over." Yeah, yeah. And somehow. Of like five miles away, uh, <laughs> upstairs in the ferry, uh, we meet uh, we we meet um, Poirot. Hercule Poirot, who hey, he seems to be suffering from a case of the sniffles or something, yeah. but he managed to hear them whisper that to each other from yeah. <laughs> across the ferry. We don't know that yet. That gets yeah, revealed later. But well, I think his his mustache uh, conceals antennae, so he, he can is? pick up transmissions from further away than like natural hearing so yeah. yeah and then for no reason at all we're exposed to his chit chat with some guy who doesn't feature at all in the plot yeah and, and and we have some really nice cinematography of the ferry going someplace yeah and right? yeah exactly he crosses uh the ferry from the the asian side to the european side of istanbul yeah 
and uh, and then he we see him he's he's at uh, a hotel having lunch while he's waiting uh-huh. for he he's going to be taking the train the Orient Express all the way mm-hmm. to the end of the line at Calais and then from there yeah. to he's going to get a connection to London he's going that's that's yeah. where Poirot is supposed to be going and then he yeah. he meets his friend uh, Signor Bianchi. Martin. Yeah, he's a friend from the Society of Bad Access. Yes. I belong to it. I'm a card-carrying member, have been for a long time. Did you not realize with his bad accent that you can be, become part of the Society of Bad Accents? He belongs to it. Perot belongs to it. So does his friend. Because, oh boy, Steve. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love Albert Finney. Yeah. He, I love him. He's great. He was not ready for this part. <laughs> He yeah he he overestimated the the effect that the mustache and the hair would have. He thought that'll he that's was really too all young. I need. He was too young. Number one, Poirot is older. Um, you can tell in certain uh, certain shots when they do a close up of him just how young Albert Finney was. Yeah, when he was filming this, and I don't think he really understood the the character. I think he was given some some ideas, but nothing that was because his character changes a lot in the course of this film. He goes up and down, the accent's all over the place. Sometimes he's a high-pitched weasel. Other times he's, you know, a deep-voiced, you know, accuser. Other times he's a loudmouth. Other times he's... I don't think he knew who Poirot was. No. Yeah, and uh, talking about how young he was, he was not yet 40 when he made this movie. And you're right, Poirot is generally depicted as being a much older person. Quao is retired yeah. at this point in his career, yeah. and he's, he has the the luxury of choosing whatever cases he wishes to to do, whatever interests him. And so it's it's kind of difficult. They put on old age makeup and made him look a little bit, try to make him as look older than he was. But uh. so he's meeting his friend who also has a bad accent. What's his name? Bianchi. Bad accent. So Mister Bad Accent. <laughs> Mister Bad him, Accent. They meet in a hotel. And um, then they go. We go to the train depot, and um, oh no! Before they go to the train depot, someone comes up and says, "Oh no, we don't have a first class room for world famous detective Hercule Poirot." Did we mention he's world famous? It gets mentioned at least nineteen more times yeah. <laughs> because apparently everyone in the fucking planet knows who Hercule Poirot is, and if you don't. Every time he's introduced, they say world-famous detective Hercule Poirot, yeah. don't they, Steve? Yes, and uh, also, apparently, world-famous detective who is too good to buy a train ticket. Yeah. Because, like, why is this even an issue that there's no room on the train? Well, then he just has to buy a ticket to another train. Or maybe he, he'll murder someone and get away with it because he's so good, yeah. and then he'll take their room. That's what I think it is. <laughs> That's what I think. And he's like, if you accuse me, I will just make up evidence. I've already framed you for it. How about that? I have, How about them apples, I have eh? it all figured out up here in my brain. <laughs> in the gray matter. You will, you will never get away. <laughs> the police, they, they do whatever I tell them. They trust whatever I say. You have no hope. That's right. This is one time, just as an experiment, I told them that a unicorn killed the queen, and they believe it, and um, that's right. I can say anything I want, and yes. people will just listen. They did what they No were. trial. <laughs> there is no such thing as unicorn, and the queen was not even dead. That's right. They still believe But they kept thinking me. she was because I said it. And she said, hello, I'm still alive. I'm the queen. And people were like, lay down. You're dead. We have your poor said so. <laughs> So, do you want to fuck with me, really? Do you really want to fuck with me? 
So now we go to boarding the train, and we meet a whole bunch of people who are getting on the train, right? Yeah. We meet the, we meet the vampire lady and the... I don't and, know. And uh, uh, Ingrid Bergman's character, Greta, yeah. and uh, mm-hmm. we meet Anthony Perkins' character. Who gets character. surrounded by people who are like, buy, hey, lady, buy our trinkets, buy them, you don't have one. And then as soon as she finds her Christopher, St. Christopher medallion, they go, oh, no, she already uh, shit. One. Never mind. <laughs> and we, and we, this, and this is also uh, during one of the numerous references, the loud p- public references to Poirot being a famous detective, where w- yes. one of the other passengers overhears this and looks kind of like, hmm? like mm. that's my oh, and you can't tell if who she, was that, yeah, and well, and it's like it, that was rat shit, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, famous detective, eh? Ooh. Yeah, I wonder if it would be a good idea. To ask the world famous detective to investigate someone who's threatening my life, considering that I am a wanted criminal for child murder, <laughs> would it be a good idea to ask the world famous detective, Hercule Poirot, to investigate something around me? Yeah, I think it'll be a good idea. I'll bring it up later. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll bring it up later. It'll be a good idea. Fuck it. This isn't a plot hole. <laughs> He'll probably just take the money and not ask any questions. That's right. He won't investigate me at all. (laughs) (laughs) So they all get on the fucking Hogwarts Express and it finally leaves. Yes. Some great glory shots of the train. Oh, yeah. The the, the train leaving and the train steaming through the countryside. So if you're one that gets hard watching a train, especially old steam locomotives, you're going to get plenty of train porn. (laughs) Don't don't you worry. (laughs) Yeah, baby. (laughs) And now we have a bunch of scenes where people eat breakfast, and we overhear conversations. And then people eat lunch, and Poirot never seems to leave the dining car. He's hungry. And then dinner comes around, and same fucking thing. We keep meeting lots of people, Lauren Bacall and a bunch of other people, yeah. and they make comments and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and you're kind of like, hey, this movie's like 45 minutes in, and there hasn't been a murder. There hasn't been nothing. There's been a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> And now, finally, Mr. Ratchet wants to hire Perot. He's like, hey, sit down with me. My name's Ratchet. Oh, Ray what do you do? Here, you be Ratchet. I'll be Perot. Okay. <laughs> uh, Mr. Perot. Per- Mr. Perot. This will be a great bit. <laughs> yes, Mr. Perot, I wonder if you might come to work for me as my personal security, my personal bodyguard. Oh, certainly. I hope you have no terrible secrets in your past, for I will discover them within mere moments of my employ to you. I will discover every secret. In fact, I think just based on what I know of you, you are a child-murdering kidnapper who is desperate to keep his secrets. What do you say uh, to that, Mr. Ratchet? Nope. Not me. I don't know. I'm pretty sure no, by the me. way you hold nope. yourself and the, what you have asked me to do, someone is threatening your life, and I'm pretty sure that you're being threatened because you killed a no. little girl. Nope, nope, not me. I... And you let your partner take the blame. Nope, not me. Nope, I, I made okay. my money in baby food, and now people want okay, to kill well, me. Lucky for you, your case does not interest me. Goodbye. You're a, you're a dick. <laughs> yes, this I know. I am Belgian. <laughs> a, a, a common mistake. I am not a dick. I am Belgian. <laughs> so, um, basically, that's it. That's everything that happens. And finally, it's time for bed. Yes. Right? Yes. Everybody goes night-night. 
and everyone goes night night, and we discover that Akuporo puts on a hairnet and a mustache net yeah. and gloves. <laughs> Where's gloves to bed? To go to bed. And then we get Beddoes, played by the awesome John Gilgood, and he gives Mr. Rat Shit a sedative, and Perot keeps waking up because he hears stuff. And then the train stops, and he looks outside, and he's like, Oh, Zuccalor, a snowdrift. We are stopped. Yeah. And then it's the next morning, right? Yeah, yeah, the next morning, and the train is is completely stuck because there's, like, a huge snowdrift across the track, so they can't go yeah. anywhere until they get dug out. Yeah, and then we find out that Mr. Rat, Rat Shit drinks a raw egg for breakfast. Yeah, yeah, Beddoes comes also, in to bring yeah. him his breakfast, and he opens the door, and... <gasps> he doesn't. He doesn't. Oh, Remember, he can't oh, open that's the right. door. The, the, like, the door is chained. Excuse me, sir, but your, your egg in a glass. And your hot drink. sauce. <laughs> and your hot sauce. What does he call it? An amber sunrise? Yeah, yeah, that's his, his mm. traditional wake-up drink. Is drinking a raw egg with hot sauce. And he can't get the door open, and then the porter comes, and he can't get the door open. And so Poro comes out, and they force the door open. And then, of course, Beto goes, oh, thank you very much. And he goes inside, and then he drops his tray because he sees what, Steve? Uh, that uh, Mr. Body, I'm sorry, <laughs> Mr. Ratchet is dead. Oh, no. And Poro says, touch nothing. Yeah. Uh, Quick, go fe- fetch me the incredibly convenient Greek doctor. Yes. <laughs> Who just so <laughs> happens to be on the train, but not in this car, so he cannot be a suspect. Yeah. He is not a suspect. He is from a different part of the train. And so the doctor comes in, and he says, Oh, well, there was a sedative, but not enough to kill him. And uh, it's funny. He doesn't have any blood in his body. Hmm, That's weird. Oh, well. Well, let's all be done. Can we be finished? (laughs) No, so, yeah. What where all the blood went? So he he asks Perot if he can pull down the covers and he pulls the covers down and, Mm. oh, shit, somebody's been a little stabby over Yeah, just a little bit. He's been stabbed uh, 12, 12 times. 12 times. Hmm. And then uh, they see that in the ashtray there was a burnt up note. Yes. And Perot's like, get me two hat boxes and my wax thing from my room. And I'm going to CSI this shit, yeah. right? This will blow your mind. You, you old boy. You, I'm like magic. <laughs> wait, wait till you see this shit. Seriously. Uh, but before he can do the CSI stuff, he talks to Mr. Uh, Butt McQueen. Yes. Real quickly. And then they do the CSI stuff, and they, they do a thing where he puts the paper between two metal things of a hat box, and they light a thing, and he says, we have to be real quick, and they see a part of a note, right? Yeah, and, they, and it's the, the part that they can read is a fragment of a name that Perot works out to be Daisy Armstrong, which is the little girl who was murdered in the opening bit that we saw. Yeah, because thankfully, Perot is a mega genius who has a mind like a steel trap. It's not something that he writes down and says, I will investigate this five weeks from now when I am back in London. Right? (laughs) This is not my problem. I am retired. I don't (laughs) care. (laughs) He recognizes it as the Armstrong case. His friend says, oh, well, that poor little girl. And he goes, no, no, because then the mother died, 
giving birth to a stillborn child. That's two more murders. I don't think that's really a murder. Shut up. And then then the housemaid who was wrongfully accused, she committed suicide. That's also a murder. No, that's suicide. And also the husband committed suicide after all the tragedy. That's five murders. I, uh, I don't think you know what a murder is. <laughs> it's it's one murder and then four very tragic deaths. No, no, it's not. No. This is all murders. He may as well be there, killed a little baby, and killed the mother, and killed killed the the, the, the housemaid, and killed the colonel man. You're not. No, I'm sorry. You're not very cool headed and rational for a great detective. I don't care. I see murder everywhere and everything. You're murdered now. Sherlock Holmes is over there leaning in the corner, smoking his pipe, going, oh, give me a break. And also pass the heroin. (laughs) Could you pass the heroin, please? Thank you so much, John. Watson, bring me my case, please. Don't look inside. Just bring it to me. Don't look in it. Now, uh, fill this needle and close your eyes. (laughs) Tie off my arm and think of England. Um, wow, we went it's, dark all of a sudden. <laughs> it's a long train trip, John, for God's sake. <laughs> Mrs. Marple is out in the fucking hallway. I, I don't have it. God knows, she probably has some secret fucking vice or mental disorder that we don't know about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Inspector Dupin is out there going, I should be dead by now. It's the 1930s. I solve mysteries, and in secret, I kill prostitutes. <laughs> What, Mrs. Marple? <laughs> Nothing, dear! <laughs> Don't we all need to have some kind of vice? Isn't that how it works? I've seen evil and now I partake in it. <laughs> we can't just be clever people who solve mysteries. We have to be very morally compromised. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway... <laughs> um, that's right. Columbo hated black yeah. people. He didn't know that, but he did. He was a clan. He was a clan member. Don't let anyone know. But Columbo was a clan. I member. just have to figure out how I'm gonna frame a docky for this one. <laughs> I'm tired of sending white people to prison. It's not what I. He keeps showing up. It's not why I became excuse a. Excuse me. Uh, excuse me. Just one more thing. You didn't happen to see a black man anywhere near the crime scene, did you? It would make my job so much easier. Wink. <laughs> I think maybe you did. Would you like to change your statement? <laughs> Johnny Cass is like, this is going to be easier than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> For those of you who don't watch 70s television, yes, Johnny Cash was on an episode of Columbo. <laughs> um, anyway, where are yeah, okay. we? Okay. So then he talks to uh, McQueen. This is where we finally start talking to the suspect. Yes. Right? First one he talks to is McQueen. And he's like, oh, yeah, it turns out uh, the woman from the kidnapping thing was like a mommy to me. And, oh, I am ever so surprised that the guy I worked for, um, uh, Ratchet, (laughs) he was actually a guy named Caselli who was uh, responsible for kidnapping this this child that I obviously knew. Yeah. And Poirot's like, wow, what a weird coincidence that you just so happen to be on this train. Yeah. yeah. And his friend comes out as soon as the interview's over and goes, he did yes. it. Yes, yes, yes. Bianchi, he did, he did it. And the doctor comes up and says, no, he's just a mama's boy. And then he, he points to the doctor and says, he did it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
because he does this after every, every single, single interview. interview yeah. He goes, "Well, it's obvious they did it." I'm surprised he's not at the window pointing at horses. Those horses, the, did the it. people shoveling the snow, did it. Everyone knows that horses hate people, and they snuck on the train. <laughs> dressed as a porter and killed him. Praro is there with just face palming going, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Maybe we'll be snowed in and have to eat each other. You know, I think I'm going like... I'm going to say that you did it, okay? <laughs> I can make that stick. I did do it. <laughs> I did do it. I did. Why do you think I'm blaming everybody else? <sighs> so after McQueen... It's, uh, who's next? Is it Beddoes? Uh, Beddoes, Yeah, yes. yeah, the, the, the butler. And he just comes in and goes, hello, I'm the butler. Did you give him a sedative? Yes, I did. Thank you, bye-bye. Yeah, right? and Bianchi's like, the butler the did it. it. And then we interview Mrs. Hubble, who's Lauren Bacall, and she said that there had been a man in a room, and then she found a button, and yeah. that's it. <laughs> It pretty much goes like that from here on out. Then Angry Bergman, and also the other guy going, she did it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Angry Bergman comes in, and she's... You don't need to say. You've said it after everyone. You don't need to say it again. You don't need to... I know you want to. I see you. I see you. You're biting your lip. You're hopping up and down. Let me you guess. She did it. <laughs> then Ingrid, Ingrid Bergman comes in. And she's one of those condescending missionary types. Yes. I just want to take care of the little brown babies. Who are more ignorant than I am. You see, be- benevolent racism is okay, yes? <laughs> they can't help it because the brownness of their skin makes them inferior. Even almost as inferior as I, for I was born backward, which made me inferior. <laughs> see how that shit works? Yeah. <laughs> I read a lot of eugenics. It's very interesting. Yes. Anyway, um, go ahead, say it. She did it. <laughs> okay, bye-bye. I want my Oscar now. <laughs> then they interview the couple, which is the prince and the countess yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And that, uh, I don't even know. There's some, bu- there's some business there about the passport, and the first letter of her name on the passport has been uh, blotted out by a grease spot, and Perot has her yeah. writer name over so he can verify that it's really her passport, and that that comes yeah. back in later, but, you know. Just like all this stuff comes back in yeah. later, kind yeah. of. In one big scene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Remember everything. And now... And then we have Princess Vampire, who doesn't remember people's yes. names. Also known as the inspiration for Gary Oldman's performances, Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> we meet, yeah, we meet the princess and her ma- handmaiden or maiden or whatever maid. Yeah, Hildegard. Yeah, Hildegard Stormtrooper. Yes. <laughs> Who's more muscular and masculine than a lot of other men in this movie? <laughs> she looks like she could punch the locomotive out if she really wanted to. There is one really, I thought, really nice detail in this scene because this is this is the, the because she's like royalty. This is the only interrogation that Poirot uh, ta- undertakes in her in her cabin instead of bringing her into yeah. the the like the the club car where he's having all these other people interviewed. And she has these two little dogs with her that are seated on the bench next to her. And Poirot just reaches yeah. down and picks them up. And, and yeah, picks them up and hands them to yeah, what's his hands name? them to Biachi and sits down. And, I, and Biachi is like, "These dogs, did yeah. please, please shut <laughs> up. Oh, please, please, not now. Yeah, I will make you wait outside of the cabin. Take the dogs for a walk, please." 
Um, then we uh, we interview uh, Colonel Buttnots. Yes. And he's a bit of a racist. A little bit. He, earlier he called him a frog. Yeah. Which is incorrect. It's, he's not. Yeah, if, if you're going to be racist, at least get it right. He's yeah. Belgian. Yeah. To quote uh, my favorite murder mystery, Murder by Death. I'm not a Frenchie, I'm a Belgie! <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and then he, they interview him about, uh, did he know uh, Armstrong? And he's like, oh, I heard something about it and stuff and other things. And he, he should have had a jury of 12 people. And also he had all these medals and stuff. Right. Yeah, and he he mentions like uh, he mentions his medals, and then says, "I was surprised that he, that a man like that would kill himself." And this makes Poirot like really get upset at him. Yeah, because he and then he runs through all of the tragedy that came from the the Daisy mm-hmm. Armstrong murder, and he's like, "And I would have been able to understand it even if he had you know received the victory cross." You stupid yeah. son of a bitch! God, you <laughs> make me sick. Now Fuck bring in you. your girlfriend so I can yell at her. Don't you ever shame a suicide around me, you. Pr- <laughs> I think about killing myself all the time. <laughs> I don't know why I haven't done it already. <laughs> so fuck you. So then the girlfriend comes in. Yes. They go to a different room. He starts yelling at her, um, and this provokes um, this provokes Colonel Butt Butt to um, bring on the full Connery. Yes. Yeah, he, he, <laughs> He's he like, wait a damn minute. And he comes running up and he punches the porter out. Yeah, he punches the porter out and then he takes a second and goes, it felt wrong to hit a man. <laughs> Stop it. He comes in the room and the thing that got Perot all up in knots is he wants to know, because he overheard them on the ferry yeah. somehow, say, we'll wait until all of this nastiness is behind us. And he wants to know what the nastiness is. And I'm really surprised she said, well, what he wants to do is he wants to take his penis and he wants to put it in my bunghole. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's, yeah, see. But we have to wait until his disease clears up because I don't want what he has. And and that's it. Are you happy now, Pro? Yeah, actually, yes, I am. Quite. Can you draw it? Yeah. Take, take my notes. Draw thank that. You, thank you for sharing that with me. Draw it and explain it in detail. Write it down. Yeah. <laughs> Talk slow. <laughs> It turns out that the nastiness they're talking about is Colonel Butt Butt Knot's um, divorce. Yeah, and he's he's getting a divorce, and he wants to shack up with his new girlfriend, but he has to. They have to keep their relationship a secret until his right. divorce is final, or his wife yeah. can take him for all he's worth. Yeah, and now we meet the Chicago car salesman dude. Yeah, who is who is Italian? Yeah, and, and, and learned English in Chicago. Yeah. It's what Beto says, a form of English, I believe, he learned in Chicago. Yeah. Um, and then they find a knife. Yeah. And then uh, they meet a talent agency guy who is actually a Pinkerton. Yeah. And then they show him a picture, and he gets upset. <laughs> right? Yep. yep. And then Poirot is like, I know who did it. I know everything. Gather everybody in one car. I forgot my accent. Wait a minute. Wait uh, shit. Red laser, yellow laser. There we go. Everyone get into the, the dining car, for I am going to talk forever. <laughs> We're going to have the big solution scene. Okay, so, Steve, mm-hmm. this is the big solution scene. Yes, oh right? yeah, Th- this is the solution scene to end all solution scenes, really. How, 
now the first thing he says is, okay, so this is what we got. Okay, we have the simple solution. We found a coat, we found a hat. When I found them, I laughed like crazy. Like a crazy person, I laughed. It was funny. <laughs> I laughed and laughed. I just I love finding anymore. clothes. It's just I a like thing. finding... It's, it's a secret joy. I like... <laughs> I say, When I show someone up, like a hotel or somewhere else, I say, take me to the lost and found and close the door. You will hear giggling like a little, like a little girl. It's what I like, okay? <laughs> anyway, so I found that and what you guys want me to fucking believe because you think I'm some sort of goddamn joke is you think <laughs> that you are going to leave behind clothes and I'm going to think, oh no, Mr. Ratchet who's actually Caselli, who's actually the guy who kidnapped the little girl, killed her. That maybe a mafia guy came onto this, this train and killed him. It's, you know, drug him and then stab him 13 times. And then leave. That's the simple, stupid fucking solution that you want the world's greatest detective to come up with. Right? <laughs> They'll nod. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Please be that stupid, Poro. <laughs> Can we go? Are we done here? And then he goes, okay, now for me to say a bunch of things that is completely unprovable for the most part. Yeah. And also, if I get it real correct and I'm really gung-ho for to go to the police, you go could just kill me <laughs> right now. <laughs> me and my friend who owns the, the line, uh, the, who's on the board of directors or whatever. Because it turns out um, all of you are in on it, right? Yeah, yeah. Every single person in the car, other than the guy who was killed, and Poirot. Everybody in the car except Poirot and the guy who was killed all knew Caselli, right? Yeah, they all had some connection. Well, they didn't know Caselli. They were all connected to the Armstrongs. To the Armstrongs, yeah, exactly. Turns out the guy who was the Pinkerton agent was actually a police officer who was in love with the maid that was wrongfully accused and who committed suicide. So he had a motive. And um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Mama's boy. He was connected. Yeah, and, and the the countess, uh, countess who's married to who who's married to Michael York's guy. She's the younger sister of the mother of the little girl. Yeah, and. Um, the Lauren Bacall is the mother <laughs> of both of them. Yeah, of the the uh, and and also uh, York is upset because he's married to the woman and he's seen her upset. And uh, Sean Connery is was the friend of the Armstrong man. Yeah, and so he's mad. And um, there's well. <laughs> There's so many of them. Uh, Be- Beddoes. The butler, Beddoes, was the butler of the Armstrongs before he became the butler to... So I don't even yeah. know how this happened. Before he became Caselli's butler yeah. and... Um, oh, and, and uh, uh, Hildegard Schmidt was the cook for the Armstrongs. And the Italian car salesman guy was uh, the chauffeur for the Armstrongs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they all really hated Caselli for what he did. So they set it up to uh, fake the time of death because they knew they had to fake out Poirot. So they did a bunch of hijinks to fake him out. And then they knocked out Caselli with some knockout drops in his drink, some stuff. And then they all went in one at a time and they all stabbed him. Yeah. Hence 12 stab wounds. And, hence, and some of them looked like they came from other people. Right. 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 Because they were different sizes and different depths. And the doctor had said not all of them would have been fatal. So Yeah. And at this point, Poirot could have easily have said, yes, it was all for revenge. It is unfortunate, however, that 
He was not, in fact, Caselli. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Sounds like somebody was not such a great detective, eh? Uh, it seems that you mistook because he had a similar name as the kidnapper that you thought that it was the same guy. He was actually uh, the most loved man in his hometown in Italy. Yeah. You all did a very bad, bad thing. You did a bad thing. Actually, uh, what I really wanted him to ask was... I. I'm kind of curious as to how it is that any of you managed to find this man and why it is that none of you, at any point, went to the police for him to be tried yeah, for like, child murder. If, if, if you had evidence of who he was <laughs> and you could find him on the train... And you couldn't have enough time for two of you to work for him and several of you to arrange all of you to be on the same train at the same time. <laughs> I mean, duh. And you arranged for a snowdrift somehow <laughs> to stop the train. That's a, Yeah, that was a little convenient. It's going to snow that night. It'll probably <laughs> drift, right? <laughs> And none of you panicked when you found out that world-famous detective Hercule Poirot was going to be there when you planned to murder someone! <laughs> okay, who, whose idea was it to go ahead with the murder after I got on the train? Seriously. Well, well, I said it was probably a bad idea to go through with the murder once we knew that you were going to be literally in the room next door. Okay, why did nobody listen to this man? <laughs> Come on. It's ridiculous. I cannot believe it. We're not even sure if this is actually the guy who... I mean, you won't tell us how you know how we know. I think I know because someone wrote Abigail What's-Her-Face on a piece of paper and gave it to the guy. How do I know that Mr. Ratchet wasn't sitting there going, Who is this girl on this piece of paper and why has it been given to me? Yeah. <laughs> the name is vaguely familiar, but I have no idea. My name was Caselli, but I changed it like many people do when they move to the United States. <laughs> yeah. I guess I must be a child killer. Sure, I'm a little bit of a jerk, but I did not like what happened to that child any more than anyone else. Oh, I feel dizzy now because uh. of with something has gone wrong. Uh oh. <laughs> oh, this is bad. <laughs> I mean, the shitty part is that guy worked so hard to make his fortune in baby food. <laughs> and now nobody believes him. Ratchets, ratchets, baby food. <laughs> you know how hard it is to sell baby food with rat shit written with on rat the label? With rat shit as a name. <laughs> and he made that work. He, 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 he persevered <laughs> and he What made prospered. it even worse is that it's not even a picture of a baby on the jar. It's his picture of him... <laughs> And it says rat shit on the it's side. It's a picture of a middle-aged scowling man with rat shit under the That's under what's the on picture. the billboards. Rat shit. Put this in your baby's mouth. He's, he's the embodiment of the American dream. He's an immigrant who came to this country. And against and, all odds, against a horrible product name, uh, against, against an awful, awful slogan, he managed to make enough money to retire. Yes, and, and not only that, but he was able to withstand what I'm sure must have been some terrible, dirty tricks from the Gerber people. Who oh, were yeah. trying to protect their racket. Like I mean, when they went up to his assistant and said, you know he's the guy that kidnapped the baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when they kidnapped the Armstrong baby. <laughs> what? Holy shit. 
I knew the Armstrong baby. You. Oh my god. I'm going to call everybody. <laughs> so despite the fact that there's no absolute 100% verification that this guy is the guy who kidnapped the Armstrong baby, Poirot says, I am inclined to say it's the first one, the stupid story. Because it was justice, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, sure. Just get I'm me off this train. <laughs> going to get out of here before you all decide to kill the little weird detective man and his friend. <laughs> and then they all drink a toast and they're happy that they got away with murder. Yay. And then the train is out of the snowbank. The end. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Pro- Poirot goes back to prepare his report. They all drink their champagne. The train gets back moving, and that's it. That's it. The end. The end. The end. Hey, Steve. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about this classic murder mystery? Murder on the Orient Express. Here's the thing. <laughs> the movie, the the movie is totally preposterous. Oh, like yeah. the cr- the crime itself is preposterous. Having all like 12- the story that it's based on. Yeah, having having all twelve people like sneak into the to the to the cabin and take turns stabbing him, and you know uh, the the ability to uh, just to orchestrate this so that all twelve people would be in the same train car mm. as the guy who you know was the the mastermind of like the whole the the crime is preposterous the solution is preposterous and also um, why 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 were they all there why were they all there why was the chauffeur there yeah did the sh- i mean i'm sure that the chauffeur was bummed that the little girl was killed <laughs> i mean but is that really something that you swear a blood oath for that you yeah. I, w- I will have my revenge you know it's like oh that's terrible that breaks my heart i'm going to go mm-hmm. get another job you know um, so there's that, right? It's just completely ludicrous. And, and, and yeah. that's, and that's even like on the, on the scale of mystery stories. Cause most mysteries are a little ludicrous if you think about it. Like there's a lot of convenience involved and mm. it's like, okay, this probably wouldn't ever actually happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like one of the, one of the greatest Sherlock Holmes stories is the one where somebody gets killed by a snake. Like who kills somebody <laughs> with a fucking snake? It just, you know. So having said that, are I, you sure Holmes a snake? Really? Yeah. Are you not? Are you using right now? Are you carrying? <laughs> Shut up, Watson. <laughs> yes, it was a snake, and <laughs> I'm telling you, it was a snake. I see them all everywhere, all the time. <laughs> it was a snake, and the venom of that Dastardly snake is snakes. the bomb. <laughs> the crawling in and out of my brain, Watson. <laughs> I injected the venom of that snake. Now I know everything it knows. <laughs> It's the only way to solve a crime, Watson. You've got to put yourself in the mind of the killer. <laughs> um, so anyway. Time for a lie down. <laughs> it's, a, it's a three syringe problem, Watson. <laughs> Just let me do it. I don't want to OD. Um, I, I, I know how much I can take. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so uh, it's the, the, the crime itself is, is completely preposterous. Um... But as as a movie, I I feel like it's 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 the movie is what it is. It's the it's the cinematic equivalent of like one of those cozy mystery novels that you read, you know, next to a fireplace. Yeah, and it's not there. It's it's just you know, it has a very distinguished cast, um, most of whom don't really get a chance to do much other than just be there 
and nope. lend their name and their talents to the pedigree of the movie. Mm-hmm. It's it's made by a, a brilliant filmmaker uh, who, you know, again, the same thing as the actors. He doesn't really have to stretch himself all that much or here. Or try. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, and I mean, and it is... It's striking when you compare this movie to Sidney Lumet's first great film, 12 Angry mm-hmm. Men, which has a lot in common with this because both films take place in these very close quarters. Um, yeah. And in 12 Angry Men, Lumet... That's a bottle picture. Yeah. and, and It's and, one room. Yeah, and, and in yeah. 12 Angry Men, Lumet really shows off a lot of creativity and a lot of style in finding, you know, fresh camera angles and, and giving everything a lot of meaning so you can make this story that takes place entirely in one room feel yeah. feel like a movie and feel like it has some life and some some mm-hmm. you know some cinematic qualities. And the scenes on the train uh in Murder on the Orient Express don't have that same inventiveness. Um, no. you, you do get a nice sense of how close everything on the train is. You know, there are those shots mm-hmm. of everybody sort of moving sideways through the corridor between the cabins and stuff. But you don't really get a sense that that Lumet really hurt himself trying to utilize the space as best as he possibly could. Um, no. It's it's a prestige movie. You know what I mean? It's one of those very mm-hmm. it's a very classy movie with a very impressive pedigree. Um mm-hmm. And it's you know adapted by a, a from a, a very well regarded, very popular book by a very classy, very highly regarded author, and mm-hmm. and it just is what it is. It's nothing extraordinary. It's nothing that you you very few people I imagine, especially people our age or from or, you know today, would watch it for the first time and think, oh, I that's my favorite movie now. I have to go watch that again, you know. But right. it's just it's 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 a movie to watch Sunday afternoon. You know, if you have two hours to kill and you just want to watch something and be like, oh, okay, that was nice. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like it's it's like a feature-length Murder, She Wrote episode. It's not mm-hmm. it's not going to change your life. It's certainly not a great movie, but it's not no. a terrible movie either. It's 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 competently performed and executed, and it's it's uh, a a solid adaptation of this story. Um, and you know, like I say, the, the, Albert Finney does kind of go in and out of his Poirot characterization, you know. And there are times, depending where, on how much he had for lunch that day, or where <laughs> they were, or how bad his feet hurt. Yeah, and and you know, you do sort of some of those close-ups. You're like, wow, they, he's just wearing a lot of makeup, isn't he? Oh yeah, you know. Yes. And you know, and John Gilgood is basically playing generic butler. You know, oh, he's, he's not John Gilgood. He can do anything. Oh uh, yeah, but and you know, Anthony Perkins is like, oh, Norman Bates uh, got out of the institute and changed his name, and now yep. he's he look, he still has the mommy issues, but he yeah. seems doing well for himself. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's like it's 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 a nice movie. That's that's mm-hmm. what I have to say about it. It's a nice movie. I don't think yeah. it's it, it's it's not the greatest I've ever seen, but there's nothing really wrong with it. It just it doesn't aim terribly high. It aims for a classy prestige picture that people will watch and go, oh, okay, that was nice, and that's yeah. what it is. You know, it's it, and, and it's it's worth watching if you like mysteries and if you wa- if you just want to look at at famous actors because it's one just on name value alone, it's one of the great casts ever assembled. They don't really get to do much. Nope. <laughs> you know, other than just be these characters, yeah. it's it, you know none of the characters, e- even Poirot, really comes through as any as anything really impressive. You know, they're just mm-hmm. sort of their their character types and their pieces in a puzzle, and that's just what it is. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean that's 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 what I think about it. It's it's just a nice diverting mystery movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, my turn. Yeah, please. Okay. Um, I agree with a lot of uh, aesthetically. It's a very pleasing film. You know, it's shot well. 
It's very, um, it's very lush. You know, uh, yeah. the setting. You can't help but get, get that from the setting. Um, you know, the story is ridiculous. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Has a lot of plot holes. It's one of those things that if you you just basically ask a few simple questions, it kind of falls apart. Um, the whole we have to take at face value that this guy is the guy that is responsible for the death of this little girl. This for Abigail, what's her face? What was it? Was that her name? Abigail uh, Armstrong. Daisy. Daisy Armstrong. Sorry. We just have to take that at face value because if we question that, this just becomes the flat out murder of, of a guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All of that being said, however, th- one of the problems that I have with this film, and it is a problem that is specific to the genre, and that is when it comes to this type of murder mystery in which there is a murder, there is a detective solving the murder, and there are a group of suspects, it kind of breaks one of the primary rules of narrative. And the primary rule of narrative for me is that you have characters that grow and develop over the course of the story, right? Yeah. Now, more modern mysteries, they make the, the central character, the, the main character, the detective, have something there where they start at one point and they end at another point. They, they grow and develop because of their investigation of a particular murder, right? Yeah. That's not going to happen here, guys. <laughs> Poirot is not a different person at the beginning than he is at the end. Okay, they could have interjected some stuff in there in which Perot starts off as there is never going to be a time in which I would not report the absolute truth to the police. I will always I will always report the truth and blah, blah, blah. And then through the course of his investigation at the end, when he decides I'm going to let these people get away with murder because I have learned something that doesn't happen. We don't know enough about Perot's character other than the weird quirks and idiosyncratic, you know, all of the idiosyncratic stuff. He's just a caricature of Poirot. Now, I'm kind of spoiled. I like Poirot as a character, both from a literary standpoint and also because a couple of guys came in later that really just knocked Poirot out of the park. Yeah. And I'm thinking specifically of Peter Yusinov, but more importantly, David Suchet. Yeah. Who portrayed him in a British B- in a BBC television series in which he really took that character and made him less of a cartoon and more of a driven individual actually invested <clears throat> into the character of Poirot. We're not going to get that here. Yeah. We're just getting Poirot as he's the detective. And that's the pro- also a problem with all of the other characters. While the characters do have motivations and they do have backstories, all we're doing is finding the bare minimum about them so that we can have the conclusion at the end in which we discovered, oh, so that's what it happened. That's what happened. We had all of these clues and we put them together. And now we know who it is. And the other problem with it is is that there's a lot that Poirot knows that we don't know. And so at the end, when he reveals everything, we're like, oh, okay, well, I guess that makes sense. It really would have been nice if we could have had access to the same information. So it's because it's kind of fun for us to try to figure out who who the murderer is. But we never get that. All we get is this eight-page monologue at the end of this movie in which Poirot is privy to information that we don't have. And that's not fair. (laughs) At least with a Sherlock Holmes story, all of the basic information is laid out. And granted, Holmes is a is a living computer, okay? So he can put things together, and when he explains it at the end, yes, he has, he's privy to information that we couldn't possibly have had at the end. But at least it makes a little bit more sense towards the end when he puts everything together, right? Yeah. 
with this one, there's a shit ton of narrative inf- information, not scientific information. Holmes is very much about physical evidence, right? Poirot is all about motivational evidence. He's all about people's, individuals' motivations. Holmes is awful when it comes to people. <laughs> okay, he understands the basic idea behind what would motivate someone to murder someone, but his stories are all about, oh, well, I found a particular spot of dirt which matches this type of dirt and, and, and over here, and, and then also you, you're left-handed, and I can tell that because of the way that the wear on your suit is and blah, 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 blah. He's about physical evidence. Yeah. Poirot is about you are upset because of X, Y, and Z, and then I know this because of blah, blah, blah. And there are a couple of little little clues in there. He discovers that Igmar Bergman, despite the fact that she said that she was not raised smartly, it's the how she understands certain words when people are spoken to her. That It's a lot of garbage thrown at us all at once at the end <laughs> of the film. So, overall, if I was watching this for the very first time, and I didn't know what the resolution was... Would I be satisfied by it? I don't know. <laughs> I've known the answer to this fucking mystery for 35 goddamn years. I've known it for a long time. It, it's not, there's no surprise there. And I was hoping that when I rewatched it, I would go, oh, well, this was enjoyable. This right. was an enjoyable retread. And, and when we get to the ending, I feel like, oh, okay, great. But I don't feel that way. When I get to the end of this film, I feel like, okay, when are we going to get to this part where he says, okay, everyone did it? And now I'm gonna leave the end, <laughs> and I don't, I don't feel like I know any of the characters to feel any sense of satisfaction or any sense that they've gotten justice. In fact, this time is the very first time where I watched it where I went, "Are we really sure that this guy is the guy who they think he is?" <laughs> <laughs> because you presented zero evidence that it is this guy. Who says that it's this guy? <laughs> how, yeah, how do we know the real guy isn't reading this in the paper going, Whew. Yeah, it's like, oh, thank goodness. Now to kidnap another kid. Oh. You know, this Lindbergh guy, Lindbergh guy is getting real popular. <laughs> Thanks, Poirot. <laughs> and get back to doing what I love. So while I enjoy the film on an aesthetic value, it just kind of falls apart uh, as far as plotting. There's nothing really here for me to get involved and root for any of the characters, not even Poirot, because I don't even know who Poirot is. He's just a bag full of quirks. And that may pass his character, but it really doesn't. I don't know anything about him. I don't know what drives him. I don't know what really drives any of these characters other than, I guess, revenge... There's a couple of guys that I feel badly for, like the porter. Yeah. But, you know, that's because the porter manages to break down and cry and gives away the entire game. And <laughs> he's like, well, I, I suppose I should cry now <laughs> because that will really give up the ghost. But this movie clocks in at more than two hours, Steve, and we don't even get to the murder for an hour into the film, it seems like. Yeah. And then he and then he just we didn't need to start that far in. There is nothing established at the beginning of this movie that feeds into the overall plot, is there? No. We I, could have started with them on the goddamn train. Yeah. But we don't. We got him and then he meets his friend and do we give a fuck about how, why he's on the train and who he's going, where he's going to or if he's a world famous detective or any of that shit? I don't need it. <laughs> It could have come up right after the murder, and they went, oh, you're a world-famous detective, huh? 
It could have been handled much later, and we could have had an hour and a half movie instead of more than two hours and ten minutes of Perot being weird on a boat. (laughs) (laughs) And since it turned out that all these people are liars anyway, who gives a fuck about their backstory in the beginning when they're getting onto the goddamn train? I don't care, Steve! Yeah, Yeah, that that, that is, you know, the, the problem is that the movie isn't about Perot. And it's not about any of the other characters, really. It's about the shocking reveal that they're all the murderers. Yeah, it's about the mystery, and the mystery just doesn't work well enough to to carry the entire movie. You know what would have been even more interesting is that when they get to that part, and he says, and it turns out that you all killed this man, and, and then, but he goes, ah, but what you did not know was that he was not the man. That man was actually this man, and it turns out that one of them was the guy, and he set them all up. That's interesting. There's a twist. What a twist. Or, how about this? They finally get clear clear of the snowdrift, and then the entire train plummets off of a bridge. There's a twist. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't see that one coming, did you? There are films that have twists in them. We just watched one. We watched The Third Man. Yeah, yeah. That one has a twist in it about two-thirds of the way through the film. That despite the fact that we already know what the twist is, we continue to go back and rewatch the film because everything leading up to that part, we're involved in the characters and what's going on in the plot. It involves characters changing over time. It involves characters going through a thing. It involves revealing stuff. It is, it is an engaging plot. This is not an engaging plot. I am not engaged in it. Once I find out what the big thing is, there is no reason to rewatch it. Unless you want to double-check all of Poirot's work. <laughs> yeah, he was right. <laughs> no, actually, I'm really afraid to do that, because I think I'm going to go, well, how in the fuck did he know that? How in the fuck did he know this thing? How, in the, how, how is he just not barking up completely the wrong tree? <laughs> so, in the end, I'm, I, I was bored. I was, I was so bored, Steve. I was so bored watching this movie. I was like, okay, that's pretty. And, oh, boy, Albert Finney, you're so much better in so many other movies. Why didn't, couldn't you cut your hair? You <laughs> slick your hair back, but then it's all messy in the back. Who's, who's the continuity person on this fucking movie? Hey, he's on a train, man. Whatever. <laughs> so, Steve, classic or not classic? Uh, I, I have to go not classic. I mean, even though I do really enjoy it as just a diverting sort of, mm-hmm. you know, leisurely murder mystery. It's just, it, it, it like I, I mentioned it earlier, it feels like uh, like a, a two-hour Murder, She Wrote episode. And mm-hmm. if and, and the thing is, on a, on, a, on a mystery series where you're going to do another one of these next week, not every story has to be about the detective. The detective doesn't no. have to go through a major character change or have an arc in every no. single episode because, you know, it's formulaic and it's procedural and you can just, you can get away with that. But if you're, but in a feature film where, I mean, you know, this is the only version of this Poirot that we ever get. You know, mm-hmm. this is this is a one shot deal, and yeah. to, and to, and to have it play out as basically just an episode, just it doesn't it it, it prevents it from going above a certain level. You know, so it's yeah. it's a nice movie, but I wouldn't say it's a classic. No. Now let me ask you this question. Yes. Should it be remade? Uh, I mean, if if the remake addresses some of the problems in this one. I mean, there's nothing wrong necessarily with a remake. 
No. But I wonder if the remake is going to be anything new or if it's just going to be, you know, oh... Retread. Yeah, oh, people know what this is and we can put a lot of famous actors in it and that'll be a draw Mm -hmm. and, you know, we'll, 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 we'll let Brana direct it and star in it. He'll like that. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, and that'll and it'll and, and and it'll be a modern version of basically what this movie is, which is a nice prestige picture for people to go see during the holidays. That ultimately isn't going to be very challenging, or yeah. or won't really ask much of the audience. You can just sit or there offend and, anybody, or you know, yeah, you can just sit there in the theater and eat your popcorn and go, oh, what a lovely movie, you know. Mm-hmm. And if that's I'm totally it, surprised by the ending, yeah. <laughs> Turns out none of them did it. He was still alive. Wow, what a twist. <laughs> um, but, you know, and, and so if, if that's what it is, I don't really see the point of remaking it. But if, if the movie yeah. is going, if Brana has, like, a really interesting take on it, you know, or has, like, this idea of, like, if it's the sort of thing where, oh, Kenneth Brana read the novel and then he saw this movie when he was a kid and he thought, oh, mm-hmm. if they would have just changed this one thing, it would have been brilliant. I mean, yeah. I, I don't think that's what it is. But no. But if it is, that would justify it. You know, yeah. So I mean, should it be remade? Sure, but yeah. only so long as they're bringing something new to it. Yeah, and that goes for because, any remake. Uh, I'm sorry, the plot isn't a surprise anymore. Yeah. So you got to be bringing hopefully something to the table, unless you're relying on a whole bunch of the population not knowing the outcome of Murder on the Orient Express. <laughs> okay, so that's it. Done. Not classic. No. Steve, is there a movie? that you would like to recommend while I go to the bathroom. <laughs> yes, there is. Because I really need to go pee-pee. Oh, we're, we're, we're giving people an inside peek into our production They're process. not getting an inside peek in the bathroom. Oh, you're so you're going to recommend a movie. There's no video. And I'm going to get back and be disappointed in you when I find out what it is. Okay. Okay, <laughs> okay so... The movie, the movie. I'll be I'm, right back. One second. Okay, so it's the movie I'm recommending. Is it's funny? Jason earlier in a very passing uh, joke mentioned the movie Murder by Death, which I almost recommended. Murder by Death, if you've never seen it, is a, a sort of a, a spoof of mystery movies like the one we just reviewed that was released a couple years after this. And uh, I almost recommended that, but I'm not recommending Murder by Death. I'm actually recommending another uh, straightforward, dramatic mystery movie featuring not Hercule Poirot, but um, another famous detective from literature who we have also mentioned in this review and made fun of a little bit, and that would be Sherlock Holmes. And the movie I'm recommending is what I think is probably the best Sherlock Holmes movie. Um, Holmes has been adapted more times than any other fictional character, with the exception, I think, perhaps of Dracula, um, into uh, dramas and films and stuff. And this, I think, is the most successful of the many Holmes films. And that is the 1959 Hammer Film Productions version of The Hound of the Baskervilles. It is not the first Hound of the Baskervilles movie. It is not the last Hound of the Baskervilles movie, but it is the best, I think, of the, of the Hound of the Baskervilles movies. Um, Jason's back. Yay. Yay. Okay, I'm recommending Hound of the Baskervilles from 1959. Uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the... the it it uh, stars Peter Cushing as Holmes. 
who did not play Sherlock Holmes nearly as often as I would have liked. Uh, he, was, <laughs> he was a perfect choice for Holmes. He was a little and, old. Uh, he plays Holmes, uh, and it also stars Andre Morel as Watson, I think the best the best of all the Watsons, because he's very close to how Watson is portrayed in the stories. Um, and also starring Christopher Lee. It's a Hammer movie. Christopher Lee's in there as yep. well uh, as Sir Henry Baskerville. Uh, it is not the most faithful adaption of the novel. Mm-hmm. It, adds, it adds some extra stuff in there to sort of push it a little bit more into the horror genre, because that was definitely Hammer's uh, forte at the time this movie was made but mm-hmm. it is still for the most part a faithful adaptation of of the story it, it and it features uh not only Cushing's great uh performances Holmes but it's also directed by Terence Fisher who was the absolute genius of the Hammer mm-hmm. stable at this time they're by far their finest director um and uh just it, i think it's a, it's a fantastic movie it's it's it's, it's only an, an hour and a half long and it, it's, it's it's it looks great it's it's it moves along really quickly it's a lot of fun and uh i like i say even though there have been a, a more holmes movies made than there are people living on this planet right now <laughs> this most of them sadly are not terribly distinguished uh no. but this is one of the best if not the best of the adaptations of an of of an original Sherlock Holmes story. So that's my recommendation for our mystery movie episode, uh, the 1959 Hammer Films version of The Hound of the Baskervilles. Cool. Well, as everybody knows, I like to recommend a movie from the same year that uh, the movie we just reviewed came out. And so that was 1974. And so a lot of you are probably thinking, oh, Jason's going to recommend another mystery. And I'm like, nah, I'm going to swerve a little bit. Um, I am going to recommend a movie, but technically this movie is not a narrative picture. It is uh, kind of, well, it's like several different genres. It's uh, the one that probably describes it best would be more of a film essay. And it kind of topic handles a mystery, kind of. It's uh, a movie that focuses on um, a criminal recounting his career as a criminal. The criminal was uh, Elmer Dehori. And he was a professional art forger. And the main reason why I'm recommending this film is because it was directed by Orson Welles. Uh, I know which movie you're going to say. <laughs> and the movie that I'm going to recommend is F is for Fake. One of my favorite movies ever. And I am so happy that I, this movie came out this year so I can recommend it because I don't think it's really considered a classic, although it is a classic to me. I think it's probably a classic to you, too, right, Steve? Oh, I, yeah, I love this movie, yeah. Um, and it is kind of difficult to describe. It is about um, uh, this guy uh, talking about uh, being an art forger, but it's, it, that basically is used as like a backdrop for, um, you know, the investigation of... Uh, you know things like our authorship and authenticity, and um, it's kind of like a like a documentary. It has so many different. I like it when people fold genres in on 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 one another, and um, when you have a a very very uh, <laughs> distrusty narrator in the form of Wells, yes. who is who is basically the guy who's leading you through this and and it's one of those films that really uh makes you question how gullible are you <laughs> <laughs> um if you haven't seen it go find it you can find it you'll probably find it on free on youtube for of all things f, f is for fake f is for fake um and while orson welles was the director 
Um, also, uh, Francois Rickenbach, who goes uncredited, was also director. Uh, Gary Graver, was, who went uncredited, was also director. And uh, Oja Kodar, who is also uncredited and also uh, figures prominently in the film. Um, and is used as kind of like uh, an experiment, kind of. <laughs> Guys, it makes sense when you watch it. It's very, it's very, very um, uh, fast-paced in a weird way. It, it moves from one topic to another. It's very much kind of, in some areas, it's very much like um, a stream of consciousness narr- narration where you're kind of like going through as someone works through something. Um, uh, through the presence of uh, Orson Welles. Um, it's just one of those things that when you turn on, you think, oh, I'm not going to like this, and then you wind up watching the whole thing. It's not. It's like an hour and some odd minutes long. It's not even... It's not super long, but boy, is it worth it, you guys. <laughs> just go see it. <laughs> see, what do you think of Evans oh, Fake? I, I love it. It's um, It's probably the best work that Wells did at that point in his career. I mean, this, it was it his was, last, it was his last directed. Yeah. Credit. It's very late in his career and in his life. And it's, it's, yeah, it's so inventive and challenging and has that mm. sort of ornery side of Wells's personality, mm-hmm. you know, where like, like you say, <laughs> where it's like you, you, it challenges you as to what, what, gee, what am I willing to believe? You know, cause uh, mm-hmm. I don't want. I don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen it. But there's, there's this just this. Yeah, you can't. Kind you of, can't. Kind this of is why of, I can't yeah. say a lot. <laughs> there's a kind of sort of twist right at the very end that will make you go, "Oh, you bastard!" And Damn you, Wells! Yeah. While he smirks at you. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. It's. <laughs> it's the movie version of that smirk that he gives Joseph Cotton in the Third Man when he's revealed in the doorway. I will tell you this for like, free, Steve. I will tell you this for free. Orson Welles is one of those people that I wish to God I could spend two hours with. Oh, yes. Just hanging around with him. Because he, he you know he has, I, I wouldn't care if he lied to me all two hours yeah. that we were together. Because you know it would at least, at the very least, be interesting. Even if he was cramming his face full of food and wine while doing yeah. it. Ugh. Which, let's face it, he would be. Yeah, that's you know. true. Um, hey, and, and and you know, just to bring us full circle, Orson Welles uh, guest starred on the very first David Copperfield special. I hate you. I really. <laughs> wow. Thanks. He did a really cool Thanks, trick Steve. too. Oh, did he? Yeah, what was it? it was... was it that he made his career come back to life? <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, you're so mean. You're so mean. <laughs> No, it was the one where he had people pick like a random word out of a stack of books, and then he had uh, a piece of paper with that word written on it, frozen in a block of ice. Oh, that gl- yeah. that gag. Yeah, that classic yeah. gag. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. Thanks for. I was high uh, recommending F is for fake, and you just had to bring up David Copperfield, didn't you? <sighs> I am what I am. I can't help didn't it. Didn't you? Well, I'm going to make you feel worse, Steve. Oh God! Because I know what we're going to review next. Oh, I guess I brought this on myself. Yeah, you did. <laughs> I was gonna pick something nice, something happy, something frothy, something good. I had nope. to, I had to get cocky. Now I have to be. You punished. had to go and get cocky, didn't you? <laughs> hey guys, what could be completely the opposite of this movie about a murder mystery and you know subtle motives and people hiding stuff? I know. How about a movie that just lays everything out to bear? There's no nuance. 
no subtlety, no nothing. Not in the music, not in the way it's shot, nothing. <laughs> Unless, of course, you want to make pretend that maybe it has a, 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 a subplot of homosexual love in it, which a lot of people think this movie has. I don't know if it's true or not, but we're going to take a look at mm. it and see if it does, right, Steve? Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're, we're sure going to find out. We're going to find out if those missiles were really missiles, Ooh. and if that volleyball game was really just a volleyball game. <laughs> yeah, how Freudian the is movie it? That we're, yeah, the movie we're going to review next is the movie that put, I guess, no, I don't know if it put him on the map, but it definitely solidified his career. Tom Cruise, guy who played Goose. <laughs> Anthony Michael Edwards. Anthony what Edwards. Anthony Edwards. Anthony Edwards. <laughs> guy who Val played Kilmer. Goose. I don't know. Val Kilmer, that guy from the Alien movie. Yes. <laughs> An all-star cast. Treat Williams. No, what's his name? What's the name of the guy? He was in Picket Fences. Oh, oh, Tom Skerritt. I love Tom Skerritt. Tom Skerritt. Yes, Tom Skerritt. Yeah, he's in that too. In the super huge mega blockbuster about a war that we, I guess we got into in the movie. Yeah, sure. I, I hope we won. We should have. <laughs> Top Gun. So if you want to get all the jokes or understand why we keep bringing up homosexual undertones in the next review... Go watch Top Gun before our next show, right, yes, Steve? Yes, it's, it's a Kenny Loggins album in search of a movie. <laughs> <sighs> okay, that's it. Thanks for uh, listening once again, you guys, for Late Seating. This has been Jason Harding, and go see a movie this week. And this has been Steve Shives, and now I must go and wrestle with my report to the police and with my conscience. That's it. That's, That's it? it. I'm done. Yeah, I'm just gonna, go. gonna. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go prepare my Wait report. A minute. Did Poirot just say that he might talk to the police? It sounds like he's having second thoughts about about not turning all twelve of us in for maybe killing the guy who might have been no. the kidnapper and murderer. No, 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 no. I'm going to tell the police this thing about the coat and the hat. Uh, you need to be 100% on board. Otherwise, we're go- oh. you're going to wake up with 12 I stab am, wounds and you're going to be poisoned. I am 85% okay that I will tell the police the fake story, okay? 85. 80, 80, 85%? 88%. 88%. Okay, everyone in the room who's comfortable with 85% of the world-famous detective not telling everybody that we might have killed the wrong person. <laughs> oh, no. One... Two, mm. someone wake up the vampire, please. Three. Yeah. <laughs> she has been Four. struck by the sunlight. She I don't is know if we have seven votes, Poirot. <laughs> well, that is the majority. <laughs> Excuse me while I open the window yeah. for no reason. And I put one leg through for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> Do not come any closer, please. <laughs> Au revoir. <laughs> Bye everybody. Bye everybody. Late Seating is a Let Me Listen podcast production featuring Steve Shives and Jason Harding. Produced by Jason Harding. Theme music Rollin' at Five, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. You can find more Let Me Listen podcast productions at our website at www.letmelistenpodcast.com. You can also find us on Stitcher, iTunes, or just about anywhere you download podcasts.
Late Seating is a listener-supported podcast. If you would like to support Late Seating or any of the other Lemmy Listen productions for as little as $1 a month, please visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Lemmy Listen. And thanks for listening.